Hey, it's McVixen the Podcast, and I'm your host, Queen. McVixen is your destination for lit womanist perspectives on pop culture, politics, media, and other incisive conversations, usually stolen from us from the mainstream to profit off of. Yup, McVixen isn't here to be polite or play around. We know black women, black femmes, and black folks impacted by misogynoir are the standard and not the exception. With our magazine, our RRL workshop series, podcast, and our YouTube channel, we will do more than just celebrate ourselves. We will always and forever turn the fuck up. Welcome. Hey. Welcome to the new people. Hey, hey, hey to the people who are here, who have been here all this time. I'm your host, Queen. Thank you for chilling with me. I hope you're doing well. I am doing pretty damn good. I had an amazing weekend with friends. And it was what I really fucking needed because I was kind of in this weird sadness loop. And I'm feeling like, I'm feeling like I'm getting out of it. Like I'm crawling out of that shit. So that's pretty good. Yeah, I'm climbing out of that sadness loop feeling a lot more creative than I've been feeling in the past two months, which is a good thing because what I do is create things. So when I'm in those weird spaces where I don't feel creative, I don't create. I don't think I should force it. I don't think I should force it, and I don't. I don't force it. So I'm happy to be feeling a lot more creative than I have been feeling. So there's a lot of stuff that I'm working on and a lot of stuff that I have Still in the brainstorming stages of, but you will see those things coming. I've started a new article series. Last year, I started an article series where I was talking about colorism. I'm going to do one talking about my queerness. Also working on three YouTube videos. I know that I have not been doing anything on YouTube, but I'm working on three of them. They're going to be fun. I can't wait for you guys to see all of that. So if you've noticed from the title of this episode, we... We'll be exploring my abortion story, which I've shared on my Patreon in an essay. And every podcast season, I do like a preview to what we have going on on Patreon. So that is what we will be doing today. So recently, the high court is set to hear arguments in Dobbs versus Jackson's Women's Health Organization, a case in which Mississippi is seeking to revive a 15-week abortion ban blocked by lower courts. We have heard many times, we have in the past year, two years, have heard of state-level courts bringing up abortion bans. There was recently one in Texas, ways in which they are kind of chipping away at the Rose versus Wade, which is a federal ruling that allowed abortion to be legal federally in the United States. But lots of states in the U.S. are trying to chip away at that and get rid of it completely. Mississippi, in particular, during the arguments, are explicitly asking for Roe versus Wade to be terminated and done away with. And we've been hearing these conversations over and over again, and a lot of the conversations that are filtered into us by mainstream media is through the guise of whiteness, white women, in particular. So a lot of times, although we understand how abortion affects black people, I don't think that a lot of a conversation centers around how it affects black people. Like what the fuck does it mean and how does it directly affect black people that Roe versus Wade may be overturned, could possibly be overturned. Like this is fucking bold as fuck for them to say overturn that shit. 
And then we have been seeing this happening in many states over the past two years of like them making these abortion bans or making it so that it's difficult for you to get an abortion by reducing the amount of abortion clinics in your state, by making these outlandish criteria for an abortion clinic to exist. I know there are some states, I can't think of it right now off the top of my head, but there's one state where there's only like one abortion clinic. So the way that they have been overturning Roe versus Wade outside of legislation is by reducing the access to abortion, which in great numbers affects black people, right? So let's pretend, not even pretend, what will happen if Roe versus Wade is overturned? So what will happen is that federally, if, if it's overturned, states can still decide whether they want to be a pro-abortion place or an anti-abortion place, right? Because federally, it's illegal to be um, 100% anti-abortion. So that is what is keeping lots of states from being anti-abortion. But if Roe versus Wade is overturned on a federal level, that would make it so at least 26 states will most likely ban abortion. These are states that have been over and over again trying to limit access, who have been trying on the state level to not really ban abortions because they can't because federally they can't, but they have been trying to chip away at Roe versus Wade in, in like very astronomical ways. So if Roe versus Wade is overturned, then that means that at least 26 states, which is more than half of the country because we have 50 states, more than half of the country will be anti-abortion and will be places where you will not be able to get abortions, abortion care, abortion, anything. And we know that that means abortion will be criminalized because it will now be against the law. And then that's another situation and another way that the state likes to fuck with black people. So states that are likely to ban abortion if Roe versus Wade is overturned are Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, North Dakota, South Dakota, New Hampshire, Iowa, Wisconsin, West, blah, blah, how the fuck? Wisconsin. Michigan, Indiana, Ohio, West Virginia, Kentucky, Tennessee, South Carolina, North Carolina, Georgia, Florida, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, Arkansas, also known as Arkansas. I like to say Arkansas. If you know that meme, you know you my people. Oklahoma, Texas, Utah, and Missouri. So that's 26 states that would ultimately ban abortion if Roe versus Wade is overturned. And because right now our Supreme Court is majority conservative, in quotations, conservative, I say quote conservatives in quotations because I feel like the most people are conservative and people try to say conservatives as if that is a minority group, but actually most people are conservative. Since right now the Supreme Court is majority of conservative ideology, the probability of it being overturned is actually pretty pretty high, right? So one thing that really stands out about the abortion bans if Roe versus Wade happening is that a lot of these states are in the South. And a large population of black people, actually most black people in the United States live in the South. So that, that means that this will affect black people in really, really, really high numbers, right? Also, if abortion is banned in these states, it also 
makes it really, really difficult if a person maybe wants an abortion. So let's say I live in North Carolina. And North Carolina is, is depending on where you are in North Carolina, you're close to Virginia. Virginia will be a state that would allow abortions. So if I had needed an abortion, I live in North Carolina, and I want to go to Virginia to get an abortion, now my costs to get that are higher, especially if I'm a black person because most black people in the United States are at the poverty line or below. So not only do I have to pay for the abortion, which I do not have medical care for because I live in a state that doesn't even do that, and then I'm going to another state where, let's say I'm a person who has Medicaid, my Medicaid isn't valid in Virginia, so that means my abortion I will not have to pay for out of pocket. I will have to pay for transport to Virginia from North Carolina, and I'm talking about parts of North Carolina that are close. What if I'm at a part of North Carolina that is extremely far from Virginia? I might have to take not even might, I'll have to take days out of work now. I'll have to pay money now to have a place to stay after the abortion because for some people, they may need a day to get back to an emotional and mental state after having an abortion, depending on you know what's going on and the reasoning for abortion. But now it costs way more to get an abortion. Most people in the United States do not even get paid time off of work. So now you have to take off of work, lose money, go to another state, pay for somewhere to stay, pay for the abortion out of pocket because you are not, if you have like Medicaid or if you have insurance, you might be out of the coverage area now, you know. That is a high amount, of course. And when it comes to people getting abortion grants, I had a friend recently who I helped get an abortion grant. They are already strapped for cash. I had a friend who was living in Florida, and she didn't have enough money to get an abortion. So we, like, raised money for her to get an abortion. And she didn't get an abortion grant, but that only took about $200 off of the price. I believe it's about 600 and something dollars for her in Florida, they're already strapped for cash. So there's no amount of mutual aid and community funding that could assist every black person who would need an abortion, you know? So those are other ways that it will really fuck with us. Then the criminalization. We already know the first in line to be criminalized for anything is a black person. So if a a person orders abortion pills from out of state, or goes to another state, purchases abortion pills, and brings them into their state, and they're caught with them, now now you're in prison. You know, because these are all things that will happen if these abortion bans happen. And these are all ways that they will directly affect black people that, for the most part, mainstream media isn't talking about. And I think that it's important to highlight these things, because a lot of this stuff I didn't really think of off right, and it was with the help of this Newsweek article written by Kalita Rahman titled Roe versus Wade Being Overturned Will Harm Black Women the Most. That brought a lot of these things to the forefront of my mind. I always knew that it would affect black people in like way that would devastate us, but I, I didn't think of all of the intricate pieces of that, and I'm sure there are more pieces of that outside of the high criminalization outside of how much it will cost how this makes the cost of abortions way more and how it limits the access of abortion and who knows if the next step is criminalizing people who go to other states to get abortion i believe that there was it it didn't go through but i believe that there was talks of that for georgia when they passed the heartbeat joint that they passed so that's some of like the uh, 
ways systemically that abortions will affect black people. I have my other personal reasons of why abortion bans and taking away abortion rights from black people is harmful. And this is something that I have stood by for a really long time, but I really, really, really do not want ever for black people wombs to be controlled by the state, to be controlled by the United States government. That is that is basically the birth of this fucking nation, the control of black wombs to breed and to feed capitalism. I don't want a government to control our bodies in that way ever again. And that shouldn't be the, like all black people should understand that anti-abortion laws are anti-black in that way. They just are. That's, that's the connection there. Anti-abortion laws give the government the right to control black women's bodies. And we have seen, we know exactly how they did our bodies before. And this is a direct way. There are still lots of ways commonly that they control our body, but I'm talking about written down in the books, telling me what the fuck I can do to my body as a black person. (laughs) Nah, like, it's a no for me, dog. Like, no. Also, something that I wasn't aware of until a few years back until I was on a panel that was about abortion on a grapevine TV, I learned this from Aisha Fanes, rest in peace to a real one, that one of the reasons that the whites, I mean, (laughs) the whites, that was a good Freudian slip, the right, the right, R-I-G-H-T, is pushing to ban abortion is because white women aren't having enough babies. So I had not heard that concept before I was on that panel with her. So I really appreciate her bringing that to light. But it made me look into stuff and research stuff. And it made me see that abortion bans are all about white supremacist patriarchal capitalism. So I knew that from the perspective of a black person, as I presented before to y'all, where I said that this this country should never, ever, ever have any rights to control a black person's womb. But the perspective that is more new to me is that this is about also enforcing white supremacist patriarchal capitalism by controlling white women's bodies. So by the year 2050 which is really fucking soon, it is predicted that the majority in the USA will no longer be white people anymore. And we have seen the many efforts that the USA government has pushed to limit immigration to anyone who is not white, right? We have seen how, we, you know, every day we see the systemic things that makes it so black lives don't live and flourish, in this country, but I never thought about the ways in which they want to make sure white lives exist and flourish because honestly, I don't really, I don't really pay attention much to that side of the white supremacist patriarchal capitalist lens because I don't live on that side of it, but it is still very valid. So the population of whiteness doesn't do too much about white supremacist control because if we look at the world on a global scale, white people are a minority on a global scale, but they still have most of the control. I think what seems to be the fear, in particular to the USA, is how the shift of the white population can shift the power of the whiteness concept. So the whiteness concept is separate from like white people as you know them today because before race was a thing whiteness didn't even exist and whiteness didn't even become a thing or race until chattel slavery became 
a thing. So whiteness became a a thing created out of enslavement of black people. So whiteness was devised to create a deliberate hierarchy to define who was privileged and who was property or second-class citizens. So whiteness is needed in order for this hierarchy of systems to exist. And if whiteness doesn't exist anymore, you know, then that concept of whiteness if that concept of whiteness doesn't exist anymore, then how would they be the ones in power? And they're afraid of that shift. And I'll be honest and say that white supremacy is so strong that it can continue to exist even with white people not being in a room because we see it all the time. It's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of conditioning that would take a while for it to be completely eradicated and out of the system on this planet. But white people are fucking scared. They're scared. And they want to stay, at the very least in this country, the white majority here. So one way that they are trying to, one of the angles, because there's many angles that they try to use to remain the majority in this country. But one of those angles is through these abortion bans. So with all this being said, I am still processing my, in quotation, actions or how I'm going to activate and relation to abortion blends and black people and I've had a few things on my mind and most haven't come to fruition yet so I'm kind of brainstorming out loud with you right now so sometime last year I thought about becoming an abortion doula I have an interview from the season one where I'm talking to a birthing doula someone who was there for birthing and pregnancy prenatal postnatal doula and it made me think about who does that kind of care for folks who experience abortion. And I started looking into it. Um, I even asked some health educators that I knew, like, is this a thing? How do I do this? And it is a thing, but it wasn't really much that I could find on it in a black space. I was finding lots of things for white women and things that... I don't know, stuff that just didn't sound like us. Like, they just put doula on top of whatever the fuck they was doing, and it just didn't sit well with me. And like I said, I reached out to some healthcare educators about it to see what they knew, and there wasn't lots of information there. That didn't go anywhere either, and I kind of just kind of stopped that. I do kind of have interest in it, but I don't really know where to start with that. And then earlier this year, I did decide to do some abortion escorting, and I even took a training for it. And the training wasn't bad, but I was turned off because the space is mad white, like really white. And I'm extremely allergic to fucking white feminists, so didn't continue that. And then also the abortion escorting to me wasn't community driven enough. It was very like me at the abortion clinic, make the patrons of the abortion clinic feel safe while the anti-abortion people are there trying to deter them, which I think is cool and fine. But I, my expectation was a more community-like experience. Like I meet the person at their home who was getting a procedure, take them there, go to the clinic with them. Because if you are going to get an abortion and you want to get the anesthesia that puts you to sleep, you have to have someone with you. Sometimes people don't have someone to go with them. So I thought for me, I wanted the experience to be like, I pick them up, go to the clinic together. I'm sitting in a waiting room waiting for them. So when they come out, they have a familiar face. When you get an abortion, especially if you get the 
anesthesia that puts you to sleep. You have not eaten since like the day before. They tell you not to eat. So then after that, me and that person go to eat, you know, whatever. And then, you know, I take them back home. And then that's the day. So they at least have a whole day of like support. And the way that this abortion escorting was, and maybe that's how abortion escorting always is, I didn't want to do it that way. I wanted to do it the way that I presented it to you all just now. So I haven't found anything that does anything like that because that's what I want to do. I don't know if that exists. I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm still on my journey to figure out how I can be in community with pro-abortion care and pro-abortion aftercare type of things. I'm trying to figure that out. I don't know. I'm still trying to figure that out. But that meeting them at the clinic, making sure the anti-abortion people aren't too aren't harmful, that just wasn't my tea. And I wasn't with that. So I just never did it. <laughs> it just wasn't for me. It's time for some community building because my ass can't do any of this without it. So make sure you hit the subscribe button or whatever platform you're currently listening to us on. Follow us on the social media. We're on Instagram and Twitter, Facebook, and Tumblr. The links to follow us are also in the show notes. And here are some ways that you can help Mix Fixing grow monetarily. You can donate via Cash App, Dollar Sign, Mix Fixing Mag, or PayPal, paypal.me slash or you can become a patreon member and get exclusive monthly perks like my guided affirmation meditations i have a private youtube channel there i do private articles and writings there i'm currently at 17 patrons trying to get the 50 so show me the money other ways to community build community building that won't cost you any money You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and also on Spotify or whatever apps you listen to us. Retweet articles when you see them on social media. Retweet podcast episodes when you see this on social media. Share all the McVixen things with your friends. I have direct links to all of that in the show notes. Now, back to the show. So, I'll be sharing a personal essay that I wrote on my Patreon a few months ago. If you're not a patron, you're kind of playing yourself, like, <laughs> dead ass. You're kind of playing yourself. No, you're not playing yourself, but I would love for you to be a patron. I do want to get to my 50 patrons. It would be extremely monetarily helpful to sustain everything I do. Maybe I can pay an editor so I can create the stuff in batches and then send it to the editor and they just edit it and then I could get stuff out. I do really need help in this space and money will help me. It will help me a lot. It will help me be able to do a lot more here. So this is an essay about my my abortions and I'm going to read that now. My Abortion Stories by me, Naima Queen Muhammad. I can't pinpoint why I became pro-abortion. I also don't remember thinking a person's right to an abortion should be a decision by an entity outside of their body. No one had to convince me whether an embryo was a human, baby, or just cells. I didn't need to hear stories of abuse, rape, or incest, and how an abortion can free a pregnant person of burden, shame, or being forced to raise children they didn't want. I just always thought abortion was normal and natural, I guess. Now, 
I never had conversations with my mother about abortion. She wasn't screaming pro-choice up and down the halls of our Bronx apartment, but it was implied. My mother became a mother at the age of 16 in the 60s and had no choice. Parenthood wasn't something she decided to do, and she had to rise to the occasion and raise my older brother. She continued not having this choice or access to birth control that I have now. Her decision of parenthood were made for her. Although the delivery wasn't ideal, it was always clear to me that my mom wanted me to be ready for parenthood to enjoy that immense change in my life. So she always made it clear that I better not bring a baby home. And if I did, it would be taken care of. As I got older, the community around me also didn't vilify abortion. I knew of many girls in the mosque I grew up in who got them secretly. However, it was haram to receive the procedure. I still recall it being a solution that kept us girls free. Based on the music, television, and the other people around me, abortion seemed like a solution to an unplanned pregnancy that could change the trajectory of your life. So although no one in my life used the language of poor choice in my circles, it was clear the women in my community were. The normalization of abortion in my life, even in secret, made my decision to get an abortion twice the easiest decision in my life. Since 2019, Ohio, Georgia, Louisiana, Missouri, Alabama, Kentucky, South Carolina, and Texas passed different iterations of legislation known as the Heartbeat Bill. The Heartbeat Bill is an abortion restriction legislation in the United States, making abortion illegal when the embryonic or fetal heartbeat can be detected. This means abortion is unlawful if a pregnant person has a procedure after six weeks of pregnancy, which is usually when most people learn their pregnancy. These laws will affect black people who get pregnant immensely, be it by forced parenthood or criminalization. When these bills were introduced in 2019, this deeply touched me and it made me want to speak out about my abortions. I had already added being pro-choice to my womanist politic and saw these as violence acts toward black people. I was triggered by seeing laws passed that could control my body. Being a descendant of an enslaved African living in the USA, I could never support anything that would regulate when I reproduce. I also stated this while I appeared on Grapevine TV's pro-life versus pro-choice episode. I will link those in the show notes. I refuse to let a white supremacist patriarchal capitalist country that control my ancestors' wombs ever to control black people's wombs again. And I mean that shit. I use that time to share my abortion stories and not keep them a secret anymore because as the internet says, it needs to be normalized. I have been open about having two abortions with friends, lovers, romantic partners, but it's still taboo to discuss. Also, I realized all the stories in the media about the procedure were one-sided. It was always a sad, grief-filled story, which wasn't the case for me. I wanted my account to be heard, so I told my story on Vagistine's podcast. Today, September 1, I woke up and learned that Texas stepped up its suppression game in one of the strictest abortion laws in the country. Within their heartbeat bill, you can sue people for having an abortion after six weeks, as well as health practitioners who perform them. Two years ago, the same feeling had resurfaced and I decided to share my abortion stories once again. So here we go. My first abortion was at the age of 17. I knew as soon as I learned that I was pregnant that I would abort. I already had many friends that had them because even though I didn't realize it then, I was in a pro-choice environment. Being pro-abortion has been a survival tool for people around me, and I hadn't, and still haven't, seen it as a bad thing. 
it did remain a personal thing due to taboos, which it still is now for many people. I did keep it a secret from my family, primarily because I was very private about my sex life in general. Had my parents known, they definitely would have asked me if I wanted an abortion. Since I didn't tell my family, my friend's oldest sister took me and found the facility. It was somewhere in Midtown in an unsuspected tall office building. I remember being relieved that it was so low key. I did not want everyone in my business. My friend's sister was meeting me there, so I walked to the facility alone from the subway for my early morning appointment. I was hungry as fuck, because when you have a procedure with anesthesia, you're instructed to not eat or drink to avoid complications during the procedure, during the operation. The nurse told me that sometimes while under anesthesia, food can come back up, and since you're not conscious, you can choke. I wanted no parts of that, so I ate or drank nothing. As I reached the facility, I noticed a small crowd of people, many men, in chaotic and Catholic robes. I'm actually not too sure if they were Catholic. I have no idea what the hot Christian fashions were. But anyway, one of them approached me. Mind you, I'm clearly a child. He thought it was okay to come to me and spit some gibberish about how God loves me. That was a joke, because although Islam isn't perfect and being a member of the Nation of Islam was riddled with faults, I was raised thinking that all white people, especially Christian ones, were devils that wanted me dead. So I knew damn well his God gave no shits about me or the embryo in my belly. I was immediately angered, and I said to him, since you care so much about life, why are you not at prisons protesting against death row? If you care about life, you care about all lives. Y'all, that man stopped in his tracks and just stared at me as I rolled my eyes and walked into the building. He affirmed even more that I made the right decision. Also, my birthday and my freshman year of college began the next week. (laughs) Such a 17-year-old chain of thought, I know. I had shit to do, and it did not involve becoming a mother. Nigga, move! The facility was friendly welcoming and looked like a regular medical office i remember thinking this seems so normal i checked in with my friend's sister because i needed an adult present gave them my medicaid card filled out my paperwork and had a seat while waiting i began to chat with other women around me we laughed and joked and talked about how men ain't shit because we noticed that almost all of us weren't here with the men who got us pregnant there was a woman there with her daughter her daughter was a young adult Her mom was simply there for support, and she told us she received nine abortions in her life and regretted none. I remember feeling good. She didn't regret them, but saw another woman in our little group make a face. I think that's when I decided I mostly keep my abortions my secret. I didn't want anyone making that face with me. Everyone was older than me, so they were giving me advice, affirming me, and telling me that I should always do what's best for myself and forget about these men. There was one woman in the group who was unsure of what she wanted to do. Her husband had dropped her off and left her there and would pick her up later. They already had two children, and they couldn't afford another. I think I caught her about to cry twice. But the company of the new abortion crew, that's what I called us, made her stop. She was conflicted, and the same advice was offered to her. Fuck what your husband wants. Do what's best for you. My first interactions with the doctor were also not harmful. I remember it was a man. He talked me through what happens with the procedure and set me up so the nurse could give me a sonogram. She gave me a traditional sonogram, 
which is the one where they put the cold lube on your stomach and use the tool to get a visual of what is inside. I remember her being friendly and prioritizing my comfort. She couldn't see the embryo, so she had to use the tool inside the vagina to see. She looked at what was inside. I couldn't see anything. I assume they do this on purpose, but I wanted to see it because I've always wanted to see inside my body. I was afraid to ask because I thought it was silly and I let my curious thought pass. She finished up and left the room so I could get dressed again. I went back to speak to the doctor. The doctor told me they used the other sonogram method because my room was tilted backward. I made a face of confusion and thought to myself, what the fuck? The nurse saw my face and let me know I was okay. She said at that stage of pregnancy, that was fine. Instantly, I felt comfortable again. The doctor continued to read the notes in my chart and said to himself, oh, there's two sacks. I thought to myself, two? Two sacks? What the fuck? Then I asked, two sacks? Does that mean I have twins in my stomach? The doctor replied, yes. So I asked, does that mean this is going to take longer? He paused a little, almost like he was surprised I asked that, then answered, no. It'll take the same amount of time. I was pleased considering I had probably been at the facility now for three hours. I was having my first abortion, so I assumed this was an all-day thing. When I re-entered the waiting room with my abortion crew, I told my friend who escorted me that I had two of them in there and the crew overheard. They all somehow thought something special was happening and suggested I don't abort, which didn't make sense to me. If I didn't know if I could care for one child, how is having two special? I was good on that and still went through with the procedure. I felt safe throughout the process, and I remember a black woman smiling at me, being the last face I saw in the procedure room. That was very, very comforting for me. Then I woke up in the recovery room, in a bed, and a nurse tended to me right away, gave me some cookies and tea, asked me if I was experiencing any pain. The nurse then checked the pad they put on me to absorb possible blood was correctly placed. She told me to rest and leave when I was ready. Overall, the experience was good. I felt safe and comfortable. 90% of the time, the process was communal and affirming. Afterward, we went to lunch with the mother and daughter I mentioned earlier. The whole day felt really good. I want this experience for everyone who experiences an abortion. My second abortion was nothing like my first. I was 23 years old and didn't have Medicaid. I was on my parents' insurance, but I thought maybe my mom would find out about the procedure, so I paid out of pocket. I don't remember the price, but I remember it being a few hundred dollars I did not have. This facility was also in Manhattan, and another friend had been there previously, so she took me there. I don't remember the pro-life people outside this facility, but it was just as inconspicuous as the last. When I entered the facility, it was packed with women. I mean packed. I was shocked at the number of people in there. I remember thinking vividly, is everybody in New York City getting an abortion today too? It was overwhelming, and although there weren't lots of people talking, it felt loud. I went to check in, and the woman checking me in was rude as hell. I don't remember what words were exchanged, but I remember thinking, I want to slap this bitch. I'm paying for the procedure. Shouldn't you handle me with care? This theme continued throughout my whole visit that day. I had a back and forth with a medical assistant taking my blood. It's usually challenging to see my veins pop up. So I told her that, and it rubbed her the wrong way. 
She then proceeded to just stick the needle in an area where I was evident the vein wasn't protruding. She was just poking away into the meat of my damn arm. I let her know again that I know my body and how to draw blood and you're doing it wrong. I got someone else to draw my blood. It was a nightmare. And I knew someone who wasn't as pro-abortion as I am or in an emotional state to handle all of this at the time might have changed their mind. After that, I had a meeting with a social worker. She was very short, asked me why I wasn't on birth control, where the dad was, and some other questions that didn't have anything to do with my abortion or my medical health. I remember being short with her as well because I wasn't comfortable at all. I wanted the whole day over with as quickly as fucking possible. I never wanted to have an abortion again. Although pro-abortion, I felt terrible about my choices leading to the abortion and they just dogpiled on those feelings. There was no lovely nurse with me in the operating room. Just a distant look from the nurse while she connected the anesthesia. She told me to count to 10 and I drifted off by the time I got to number four. When I woke up in the recovery room, I remember lots of women around me crying and the staff seemed to not care. Or maybe it was a typical for this facility. I don't know. The medical assistant who failed to take my blood correctly and intake was in the recovery room staring at me. I mean, staring me down which made me extremely uncomfortable. I already knew I should take it easy because I had just had an abortion, but I remember thinking briefly, I might have to fight this woman. Gratefully, it didn't go beyond a stare, but that whole experience was a lot, and I was significantly over how the facility's staff handled me. Another nurse came to me to let me know I could leave when I was ready, but there are other women that needed to be brought in, so don't take too long. This facility was, it was ridiculous. And I wanted out as soon as possible. So I started getting my clothes together to get dressed in a private room and leave. When I left, I thought to myself, I will take pregnancy prevention more seriously because this is some bullshit. How are you in an abortion clinic that operates in shame? Again, had I been someone not sure about having a procedure or somebody already in emotional distress, I would have been so ashamed that I might have decided against the process. Where am I now? I'm still very pro-abortion. Although still scared from my experience at 23, it made me think deeper about the idea of being pro-choice. It's not enough. Abortion care and advocacy for people who receive them have to be present. Even in states where the threat of abortion becoming illegal isn't on the agenda, there is still a considerable lack in your care. It may be looted lack of funding. In general, how much respect do facilities provide for their patients isn't a priority either. Personally, I haven't had to think about abortion again. I haven't gotten pregnant due to heavy condom use. Until sometime last year, my friend, sometime last year, my friend who lived in Florida needed an abortion, but Florida's Medicaid doesn't cover abortion. She wasn't originally from Florida and moved there from a state many considered liberal. She had no idea what to do. So I went into planning mode. I asked my friend Vanessa and host of Vagistine Podcast, a health educator, what could be done in Florida. She pointed me in the direction of organizations that help offset some of the costs of procedures. Even with that, she could only get about $100 off the total cost. We went to social media to raise money and she was able to get the abortion. I was still left with some unsettling questions though. What happens if a person doesn't have access to support? What if they go to a facility that is underfunded and overcrowded like I did? 
What if there is no one to advocate for you? What if there is no one to advocate for you while you're at the facility? I realized that there's other work to be done simultaneously with advocating for the right to an abortion. Where is the abortion patient care advocacy? It made me think about becoming an abortion doula, supporting and providing care for people similarly to how full-term pregnancy doulas do. I am still thinking about how that can fit into my life. For now, I have signed up to do abortion escorting, making it safe and comfortable for people who are arriving at abortion centers, creating a barrier between them and anti-abortion protesters. I do plan to look into how to be a volunteer abortion doula at some point. That's my goal. So I wrote that article in September. If you heard from the beginning, some stuff has changed. I did not do the escorting. Um, you've heard why I didn't do the escorting. But I'm still kind of in that same place of trying to figure out how we advocate for abortion care. How do we support people who need abortions? How do we support people after an abortions? How do we support people who... If they have to pay for an abortion out of pocket, really, really affects me. When I paid for that abortion out of pocket, I was living on my own and it I couldn't pay my rent that month. And I had to play catch up like ever since after just because of an abortion. And I don't think those are pieces that lots of people are talking about. Being pro-abortion is also being pro-abortion care. And how do we care about black people who get abortions, who need abortions, and who may need some kind of supplementation, be it money or wellness, after they get an abortion. So I'm still thinking about those things and trying to figure that out. And I just thought it'd be cool to bring that here and bring you all into that thought process with me and leave you with the question of what happens if a person doesn't have access to support? What if they go to a facility that is underfunded and overcrowded like I did? And what if there's no one to advocate for people who are at abortion facilities? So those are some things to think about. This was a long one. You know, I don't I don't really like doing long episodes, but it was necessary. But thank you for chilling with me and sharing space and time with me to talk about abortions and abortion care. Be sure to follow me on the social media. We are on Instagram and Twitter at underscore makes fixing underscore we're also on facebook and tumblr subscribe to our newsletter the link to that is in the show notes visit the website missvixenmag.com subscribe so i just pop right up when i start publishing podcast episodes again okay remember you are a bad bitch you are enough stay fly signing off queen